if it makes you happy. If you guys have your Bibles with you tonight, I want to invite you to open up. Proverbs 23 is where we'll be this evening. As we continue working our way through uh, the signs, paying attention to where the Lord is leading us and how He would have us to walk. So again, we want to remind ourselves (coughs) that as we look at the Proverbs, that's what we're looking for, directions (coughs) to follow the Lord. Let's pick up in Proverbs 23, verse 1. It says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler... Observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. And he will plead their cause against you. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. uh, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. So let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, (coughs) an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause and redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over the wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies at the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. 
When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, continue working our way through the 30 uh, wise sayings of Solomon, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, and God, that our heart, our ears, our eyes would be open to receive <clears throat> wisdom from your word, God, direction from you. Lord, we ask that that you, uh, God, would go before us and make our path straight, Lord, that we would hear and see you beckoning us. Come follow me. Lord, we pray that you be glorified this evening and magnified in this place as we lay this time before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we pick up in saying number seven. If you remember last time, we talked about the idea that these are the 30 sayings, not specifically that Solomon authored, that Solomon brought together from the four corners of the world. As Solomon, the Bible tells us that Solomon went around the world searching for wisdom. And wherever he found it, he gathered, brought it back, had probably one of the largest libraries of, uh, of proverbial sayings. These 30 are ones Solomon specifically picked, uh, obviously led by the Holy Spirit to place in the Scripture. So this is uh, roughly, we're number 7, so we'll, we'll make it to the middle of the 30 sayings. That's what this section of Proverbs is called, the 30 sayings of Solomon. So we pick it up in verses 1 through 3. This is saying number 7. When you sit down to eat with a ruler... Observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given the appetite. Well, that seems strange. What's going on? Well, the idea that he's laying out here is a concept of, of greed. In other words, wanting what somebody else has. The idea is if you're at a ruler's house and you see all the delicacies that he has. You see all the things, all the ways maybe in which he's been blessed. And these are things that you're longing for. The, the word is saying, put a knife to your throat. Don't cut off your appetite. Because if your appetite becomes your desire, then your desire begins to rule you. You're no longer following the Lord. You're following an appetite for what somebody else has. Anybody ever experienced that? You know, your neighbor got a new truck or something new and you look over. You got a what? Yeah, that's how it happens, right? So we look and we say, man, this is... <laughs> there's something I want. And the key is when, you know, one of the things that we want to remember as we're looking at the, the proverbial sayings is we want to follow Christ. Christ is the one saying, come follow me, right? So that's supposed to be our desire. Our desire is for the Lord. Now you see something else that somebody else has, whether it's the food, the lifestyle, the house, it doesn't make any difference what thing you put there. When those appetites become our drive, they replace the drive that was following Christ. Does that make sense? Where, in other words, my desire, one of the things, you know, the Bible tells in Romans chapter 6, that we're not to let sin reign in our heart. In other words, don't let sin rule. One of the things I, I will often share with people, you know, I want to know what I need to do to do God's will. Uh, people probably get tired of hearing it, but I say, love God and do what you want. If the first part's true, the second part's going to be okay. If the first part's not true, it doesn't really matter what you try to do. We're going we're gonna to struggle. That desire, the desire that needs to reign in our heart is Jesus. So what he's saying about the king, oh look, I, I see these things. I see his delicacies. I, I see the things that he has and I want that and that becomes my pursuit. Great example, Daniel. You guys remember Daniel? 
When Daniel, he's 16 years old, he's taken to, to Babylon, he no longer has his parents telling him what's right or wrong, he gets to choose. And he made a decision. I don't want to be drawn uh, into uh, the, desiring the king's delicacy, so I'm going to eat my normal diet. You know, it's, it's, it's less about what I'm eating and more about what do I desire. What, what Daniel desired was to please God and follow him. Okay, so we want to, that's the, that's the key that he's laying out here. He says in verse 3, he kind of gives us that summation. Do not desire his delicacies, they're deceptive food. Don't, you know, we have a tendency to judge on other people's outsides with our insides, right? We assume that guy's got a lot of stuff. Oh, look how happy he is. He may be just as miserable as somebody else, but we're, we're making assumptions based on what he has. So what the Bible is saying is we don't want our desires to drive us. The only desire that drives us should be a hunger for God. A hunger to know Him. When that is true, right? Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4, 5, 6, when we look at the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one God, and you shall do what? Love the Lord your God with how much? All your heart, right? This This is the pursuit of the believer. Our pursuit is to daily learn to love God with all of our heart. And so Solomon's saying, it's going to be hard for you to love God with all your heart when you look at what your neighbor has and you start wanting what he has. That can take that pursuit. So cut off your appetite. Recognize, I'm getting an appetite for that, you know. What is the key? When I see that appetite coming, when I see the desire in me is no longer godly, it's not after God, it's after something, it's simple. The same way we would change our direction on the road. What do we do? Repent. Confess. Lord, forgive me. I, I, I'm, I'm being drawn away by my own desires. Right? Isn't that exactly what happened to Eve in Genesis? She looked at the tree and said, oh, it's such a pretty tree. And she saw the fruit and she said, oh, it's good looking fruit. And it's desirous to make one wise. Same old drills, nothing new. No special new attacks from the enemy. So what we want to recognize and cut off those appetites. Let sin, don't let sin reign in your heart. Rather, follow the Lord. He goes on to saying 8 in verse 4. <laughs> saying 8, as verse 4 and 5 says, Do not toil. <coughs> Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Now it's following along the same lines. Right? What desire drives you? Is it the desire to follow the Lord or is it the the desire to be wealthy? And this is the key he's laying out for us here. Don't toil to, don't make that the goal in life. The checkbook is not how you keep score. That's a lousy way to keep score. How do we keep score Should, should be, should be, how lives are affected, time we spend with our kids, time we spend training and teaching and showing people and having opportunity to share the Lord with others is not about money. If it's about money, if it's a pursuit of money, the Bible has verses about that, don't it? Right? If, I, if my desire is money, that is the same as saying it is the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. Love of money, same thing. Desire, my desire. I want money. I want money. I'm after money. I'm going for money. And it, again, it's a check. Hey, is this the desire of our life or is it the desire of our life to follow the Lord? He says, when your eyes light on it 
It's gone. Anybody discover this? No. I'm the only one. As soon as I put my eyes on something, it starts to fly away. It's just out of reach. I just can't quite lay a hold of it. Suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle to heaven. Yes. They say money talks, and what it says is goodbye. (laughs) So, yeah. Second place. (laughs) So when we look at it, okay, again, we're saying, okay, what... What is that desire? Because it's empty. I can pursue money all my life and it be an empty life. I can pursue God all my life and it will not be an empty life. The result will be that road, that path, pursuing God brings life. Pursuing something else, whatever it might be. And it can be a variety of good things. The key is, is it the love of God that compels you? Is it for the love of God that we are pursuing whatever thing we're after, whatever thing is drawing us in life, or is it that other desire? Because if it is, go back to the first thing I said. If, if the key point in where I stand is not in the love of God, that I love God and that's my pursuit, then everything that flows from that is going to be a desire from God. It's going to come from that root. If I take that away... And now it's the love of, of, of my job, or it's the love of family, or it's the love of children. All the, none of those things are bad. But now your priorities are amiss, and the road you're on is no longer the road of life. So we want to keep those priorities where they need to be. We go on to saying number nine. Saying number nine says... Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy, nor desire his delicacies. Now, this is a little tricky. The Hebrew is a little bit tricky here, so it's a little difficult to make sense even in the English. But here's the basic premise. He's saying, don't invite yourself over to somebody else's house. If they haven't invited you, don't go. Okay? You guys ever known people like this? I didn't invite you, but you're coming over anyway. Hey, we're coming by for dinner. Cool. Yeah, that's exciting. Let me call Kathy and tell her. So the idea is that that's not what you want to do. You don't want to invite yourself over. Why? Because he doesn't want you there. If he wanted you there, what would he do? It's tricky how that works, right? He would invite you. So it says he's like one inwardly calculating. Eat and drink. He's saying eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. His heart is not with you. It's not... This is not, so he's saying basically your, your time of fellowship, you're vomiting up your morsels and your words are of no use. Because this guy in his mind is saying, man, I can't believe this guy's in my house. So the concept that he's laying out for us here is, hey, that's not, don't invite yourself over. Because, because the fellowship is going to be false. It's, it has become all fake. Because now I'm, I have, I have uh, intruded in decided that, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And so Solomon is saying that when you do that, the fellowship is false and your talk is wasted. Can all, you can say all these good things, but it's not accomplishing the things that you want. Real fellowship springs out of a generous heart who wants you there. Who says, hey, why don't you come over? Let's spend some time together, right? <laughs> so that there can be fellowship. You feel lonely? And you think, you know, I, I want to go uh, 
hang out with Jackie. It's as simple. This is all you have to do. Hey, Jackie, why don't you come over? We'll have dinner. Cool. You just did what? You invited me to your place. Yeah, you didn't invite yourself to my place. Does that make sense? It's not hard to do. It's, it's easy, but this is the path. This is the path of life. The path that is saying, rather than trying to demand generosity from somebody, I'll be a generous person. Does that make sense? Rather than demand friendship from somebody, I will be what? I'll be friendly. Ah. The, the idea is that we ought to, we should, take those things, because then the fellowship is real, right? They respond to your invitation, they come over, the fellowship's real, the talk's not wasted. So this is what the Bible's laying out for us. There's benefit to the fellowship of that meal in saying number 9. Saying number 10, verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. The idea is, kind of ties into saying number nine, just like your words are wasted on a begrudging uh, guest or, or host, your words are wasted on a fool. So we, we want to understand that and later on when we get to chapter 25, we're going we're gonna to have some fun talking about how to answer a fool. Because there's two verses that talk about how to answer a fool. One says not to. One says two, so it'll be a lot of fun when we get there. But the idea is there's a way, a method, a, a purpose. We're not to become like a fool to answer a fool. So God wants us to answer according to his wisdom, and he's going to show us what that is. <clears throat> Here he's just saying, hey, look, just like a begrudging host, your words are wasted there, your words are wasted on a fool. There, we've all met those people Surely you know them. When you're talking to them, their eyes are glassed over and they don't hear anything you're saying. So, stop talking. Here's a better idea. Stop talking and start praying. Oh, well, I wonder what would happen then. Praying that God would grant repentance. Praying that God would open eyes. Praying that God would move and work in their life. Prayer is where we want to go. Not necessarily to our ability to be incredible orators. Right? We think if I have the right argument, I'm gonna I'm gonna change somebody. Really, if the Holy Spirit's working on their heart, God's gonna change them. I just may get to be a part of that. So <clears throat> we want to be where how we answer a fool. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes three seven guys says this: There's a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak. Is that true? So we want to have a heart of wisdom, right? When it's the time to be quiet. We talked about this in James. What, what, what did James tell us? How often should we listen? At least twice as much as we talk, right? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Yeah, shh. Listen. Listen. And then the other tricky part about listening is actually try to hear what's being said. Hear the heart of what they're saying. Don't worry about the words. Have you guys ever used a poor choice of words to try to describe how you feel? Yeah? I know I've done it. You know, and so, and then afterwards I'm thinking, well, that was not exactly how I wanted to say that. What we want to do as listeners is learn to hear the heart. Didn't Jesus do that? When, when people would come up to Jesus and they'd have an argument or a question, didn't Jesus answer their heart? 
more often than he answered their words? That he would just speak right to what they were, you know, the rich young ruler, he knew right where his issue was. You know, he knew what was needed. The, the, the leper who comes for a cleansing, he knows, you know, what he's longing for is a touch. You know, whatever, <clears throat> Jesus is able to hear that. I don't think that he's able to hear that just because he's God in the flesh. I think he's able to hear that because he is doing what he's telling us to do. Listen. If you listen, you can hear it. The problem is, if you're already irritated, you can't. If I'm already mad, I can't hear nothing you're saying. I'm already rebuking you before you finish breathing the words out of your mouth, right? And then we're just going on a crazy cycle. Nothing positive is coming as a result of that. So we want to be able to listen. There is a time to be silent, and there's a time to speak. So we want to be wise in regard to that. He goes on to saying 11. In verses 10 to 11, it says, Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the field of the fatherless. So when God, this is so interesting, but when God gave the inheritance to Israel, that's eternal. In other words, whatever, whatever part was given to Judah is going to belong to Judah forever. Judah was not allowed to sell it. The land would always belong to Judah. That's why you had the, the, the um, year of Jubilee, right? You might be in debt. You sell your land, which really is a lease. It might be a 50-year lease, but your land's leased off. And at the end of that lease, at the end of that, that debt's paid, the, the land reverts back to the family. The family never loses it. That's, that's a pretty incredible system that they had. And so God says, don't move landmarks you know they would just have the stones in the corner of their property and you know some guy would go out there when when maybe it's just a widow or it's an orphan now running the land his kids are running it because their dad died and they go out and scoot the stones a little further into you know every every couple of months they scoot it a little further so their land grows and the the orphans or the widows or the poors, their, their land is getting smaller and smaller. So God says, don't do that. Why? Because their Redeemer is strong. Who is the Redeemer of the poor, the fatherless, and the widow? Yeah, that's God. So, <clears throat> Bible says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So in this case, the humble would be the orphan, the poor, the widow, the one who doesn't have someone to help them take care of the land anymore. And the proud is the guy trying to rip them off. And God is saying, I'm going to take care of it. So I could live my whole life cheating and robbing and stealing from people. And nothing happened to me. But where's that road going to end? There's a day of reckoning. Right? There's a day, every, there's a day of reckoning for us all. I will one day stand before Almighty God and give account for everything I ever taught. That's, that's my lot. That's why Paul said, make sure you think carefully about whether or not you want to teach. There will be stricter condemnation. Now, I don't anticipate that anything I taught is going to take my salvation, but there will be a reckoning before God. Hey, Jackie, why did you do it this way? Why did you say this? Whatever the things are, I will give account. We're, we're foolish to think that there's not going to be a day of accounting before God. 
I had days of reckoning before my father. Anybody ever have a day of reckoning before your dad? Mom? Whoever? So the authority? Police? Anybody have a day of reckoning for them? A judge? I've had a day of reckoning before him too. So <clears throat> there is, there, we see it all around us. There will be a day of reckoning. So what's the point of the proverb? Hey, you can't live your life ripping people off and think nobody saw me, nobody knows about it because God's saying I did. And you're going to stand before me. And you will give account. There will be an accounting of what was done. He says, the Redeemer, his, their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Anybody want God to stand against you? That seems bad, doesn't it? That's why when I come to, to, to James, it's so important for us to, to understand how bad pride is. Because when God says, when the word says God resists the proud, we've talked about it, that's the same word and way we're supposed to resist the devil. Does anybody want God to resist them like we're supposed to resist the devil? But the Bible says that's what happens if we are walking around in pride. God resists, he stands against you. That's not good. What do we want to do? Walk in humility. Walk in humility, which is exactly what Jesus said for us to do, which is walking the path he's calling us to, right? Come, follow me, the humble king. We want to follow the way that the Lord gives us. Let's look at saying number 12. Saying number 12 says, Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Literally, get wisdom. But these, this, the verb in this sentence is active, not passive. Sometimes I think, we think this is magical. How is it that we get wisdom? It just magically comes. I sleep with my Bible next to my bed, and wisdom comes into my ear in the middle of the night. It's active. It means pursue wisdom, pursue knowledge, pursue understanding. Be actively engaged in knowing God. When Paul prayed... For the body of believers, what did he pray for him? He said, I pray that you will know him. That you would know God. That you would know Christ. That you would understand the fellowship of his suffering. That you would know his love, the height, breadth, width, and depth. of The love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That we would know him. This is an active pursuit, not passive. So how do we actively pursue knowing God? The same way you actively pursue knowing anyone in your life. You got to spend time with them. You got to talk to them. You read their letters if they're absent. When 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 I was in the Marine Corps, Kathy and I we literally wrote letters like every two days. There's like a hundred silly, goofy letters, but I that all I wanted was to get another letter to read while I was in boot camp because I was pretty sure I had just ruined my life and could die at any moment. And it'd all be over. So <coughs> I wanted to be able to lay hold of something from home. And so that was important to me. That relationship was the relationship I pursued. It's no different my relationship. If you have a relationship with God, it's a relationship we pursue. I go after him. I want to know him. Has he written anything for me? Sure has. Yeah, 66 books. Right? 40 different authors over 1,500 years spans God's story of the redemption of mankind. So I want to know him. That's where I'm going to go so that I can do that. So apply your heart to instruction. Get wisdom. Be active in your pursuit of the knowledge of God.
Keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. That's what the word would call us to, and this is the path of life. Saying number 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. <laughs> I told you Kathy had these things written on every paddle we had. So the boys, the boys would hide every paddle. They'd be, you know, but it doesn't matter. She would, she was so quick making, she, Kathy's a crafter. You guys know she likes to do crafts. She can go to a, a little scroll saw and cut out a snowman in two seconds. If she can cut out a snowman in two seconds, trust me, she can do a paddle in less time than that. So then paddle, every once in a while we'd move a couch and there'd be four paddles under the couch. And then, boop, they all go back up on the, on the hooks in the hallway. And every one of them had a proverb written on them. Right? And one of them is right here. Right here lays out for us, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you swat a child on the butt, he will not die. Have not had that happen yet. He says, but if you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from the grave. That's in, the Bible is putting a heavy weight on discipline. Not abuse, on discipline. Right? Discipline is to be carried out by those in authority in a child's life to teach him the way to go. Train up a child in the way he will go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. When we talk about that, it's not just about sitting down and reading a Bible verse to him. It also includes swatting him on the backside. Saying, this, don't go this way. Don't do this. Joe gets swatted on the butt when he would run out in the middle of the street. Why? Because if he don't learn not to run out in the middle of the street, he's going to get hit by a car and die. It's my job as his father to teach him that. If I reach a point where that discipline's not working, it's my job as the authority in his life to find a way that does. My job is to discipline my child, and I will give account. It matters. There's, there is a responsibility in the life of a father. There's a responsibility in the life of parents to provide discipline for our child. It's a way of life. It's what teaches them how to go. It's what teaches them how to walk. In saying 14, <coughs> continuing the idea between the parents and his son, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart will be glad too. Aren't we glad when our kids are doing good? When our kids love the Lord, when our kids are walking with God, doesn't it give us joy? He says, my inmost being will exult when you're... When your lips speak what is right. When I see my sons making wise decisions, good choices, following after the Lord. That is a source of joy in my life. John said it like this. John said in 3 John uh, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's true. John was talking about the churches because he considered them all his kids. He was the last living apostle at the time. And so he's saying to his children, man, there's no greater joy when I see you guys walking in the truth. And this is what the, the Proverbs is laying out. Our hearts rejoice when our kids are walking in the truth. There is hope that way. There is life that way. That's the path that we want our children to choose to walk. Saying 16, again, dealing with the son. <clears throat> 
uh, or I'm sorry, saying 15, uh, in verse 17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Again, what, what, what's your desire? So it's still, he's still talking parents to son, father to son. This is the discussion in this, these next several sayings. And as he is, he's saying, don't start wanting what the sinner has. How many times have we heard our kids saying, well, but, but, but dad, you know, you got to do this before you got saved. I want to do it too. No, trust me, you don't. Oh, I'm pretty sure I do. I think what you're doing is just uh, keeping me from having fun. You had fun. I want to have my fun. God, nobody was having fun where I was. Yeah, nobody was having fun in, in Bethesda Hospital dying. Not one person. Nobody was thinking, woo, this was a good time. Nope. And I watched them die one after another, after another, after another for a year. <clears throat> and not one of them said, man, this was a lot of fun. That's the road of disobedience and rebellion against God. And it leads to death. It leads to death. Broken hearts. Broken lives. That's, that's a way in rebellion against what God lays out. So he's saying, son, don't start to envy the sinner. You know, Christian kids struggle with this sometimes, don't they? You know, I knew my boys, they, my boys grew up in the church, as I did. And went to Christian school and all of these things, you know. And every once in a while we'd have this discussion, you know. Well, Dad, you know, you got to be wild. Yeah, that was not wise. That was dumb. Oh, but, you know, maybe it's because we glorify the stories. Maybe it's because other people glorify the stories. And we think, wow, how cool that it would be, right, to wake up with your head stuck under a toilet. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. On the day I got married, I was suffering from a three-day-long hangover. No idea what happened prior to that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, Kathy thought it was a lot of fun, too. She was really happy about it. There is, but, but the problem is, we, we don't teach it, maybe. We don't teach it. We don't share it in a way that says, yeah, this is the path of destruction. This is what it looks like to see lives destroyed. Not fun. Not lives made. Lives destroyed. Son, <clears throat> my son, don't, don't long, don't have your heart envy or be jealous of the way of sinners. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Follow Jesus. Follow God. It's better. It's better than all of the things that you will lose the other way. Surely, there is a future that way. We want to walk. If you're following God, Path of life, there's a future. You rebel against God, path of destruction, there's no future that way. You will not find a future that way till you stop, repent, and turn around. And when you do, you will tell your children, don't do what I did. And the natural product will be your kids saying to you, yeah, but I want to have fun too. And you'll scratch your head and say, how in the world did they get that idea? Don't be jealous or envious of the sinner. Just because it looks good, just because they can make a show called Friends where everybody sleeps together and stays friends forever, 
Yeah, just so you know, that don't happen. Ever. Never. It don't work that way. In fact, it, when I turn on the news, more likely, it's one killing the other one. Or somebody discovering a body in a, in a garage that was in a can for six years and nobody knew about. Yeah, I know, that's, that's the real. Not, friends is not real. <laughs> that doesn't happen. It <clears throat> doesn't work that way. Don't be envious of the sinner. Hear my son, saying 16, verse 19. Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Be not among the drunkards or among the gluttonous eaters of meat. So here's an interesting side note. <clears throat> Gluttony as a sin in the Bible is not about being fat. Just so you know. Every once in a while I have somebody tell me I'm a glutton because I'm fat. Gluttony in the Bible is always mentioned alongside the drunkard. You have the drunkard and the glutton. Just like the drunkard goes out after wine to get wasted, there was those who went after food the same way. Wasn't about eating, wasn't about how big, how little, how skinny, how fat. It was about their pursuit. Like you might picture, when you, if you come with us to, to Greece, a lot of the floors were built on a tilt so that they could have what was called a drunken orgy. Now we sometimes think of those things as a sexual nature, but mostly they weren't. They were about food and drink. And you would eat till you literally could not walk anymore. And you just wanted to lay down and take a long winter's nap. Pretty much what we do every Thanksgiving. And you would get drunk. Now the reason the floors were on a tilt is because people were puking all the time. So they wanted a way to go get a bucket of water and wash all the vomit down into the gutter and have it flow out of the building. This is the idea that the Bible's talking about when it talks about gluttony. <clears throat> a glutton, waste, just wasteful eating. Just eating to eat, to eat more, to eat more. They'd get these parties. Just like you would have a drunken party where you'd get all wasted, you'd have one eating. And you'd eat and eat and eat and eat. You'd eat as much food as you could possibly even begin to imagine. There was a, 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 an example of it in a movie. I don't know, you guys I'm sure would never watch movies like this. But... Uh, there's a movie called The Hunger Games, and toward the end of The Hunger Games, <clears throat> you have the people who live in the wealthy section uh, bring the people who are playing The Hunger Games to eat. And they have tons and tons and more food than anybody could eat. And then outside, people are starving. That's gluttony. You have more than you need, and they don't have any. And you're just throwing it away. It's just wasteful. And literally the word, the Hebrew word for glutton means to waste. To waste. To hate. To waste. <clears throat> so he's saying, here my son, don't be like them. Don't be like a drunkard. Don't be like the gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton come to poverty. Slumber will clothe them with rags. They'll come to poverty. They're, they're, these, it's again a question of desire and pursuit. So the desire and the pursuit for wine 
or wasteful eating, yeah, none of those things are the, are the path of life. It's not the path of life. Path of life, following Christ, not being a drunkard, not being a glutton. So he says in saying 17, listen to your father who gave you life. <clears throat> Don't despise your mother when she is old. The idea is honor your parents. We've heard that before somewhere, didn't we? Doesn't the Bible say something about honoring our parents? Yeah? Do not, it's buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Again, it's active, not passive. How do I know it's active? Because it says to buy it. What does that mean? That means I need to go do something. I need to actively pursue wisdom, understanding, knowledge. I need to buy it and don't sell it. I need to make it a goal in my life. I need to make it a goal in my life. And the point is, that's what I should be learning from my father. That's what I should be learning from my mother. Walk in wisdom. Follow the Lord. Hear his understanding. For the father of the righteous will rejoice, will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Again, we have no greater joy than to see our children walk in truth. So let your mother and father be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. Live your life. Honor your mother and father. Mother and father, our job, teach the children the way they should go. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Teach these things to your children. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk in the way, teach them. Show them. Walk in wisdom. So then we come to saying 18, verse 26. My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. In other words, follow my example. A prostitute is a deep pit and an adulteress is a narrow well. Both of them are a trap. The unfaithful woman is not the path of life. It's a path of destruction we want to stay away from. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. How many men have sold their soul for the unfaithful woman? I don't even, I don't even know where to begin to put that number. So, he's saying, my, my son, don't do that. Don't go to the unfaithful woman. The, the flip side of the unfaithful woman is who? Woman wisdom. Go after wisdom. Don't go after the way of the fool. The way of the simple who was caught in the snare of the unfaithful woman and did not know it would cost him his life. Don't go that way. That path is not the path of life. That is a path of destruction. So we want to, we want to <coughs> find a faithful woman. That's actually how Proverbs is going to end. Right? Proverbs 31. What do we call that? The, the Proverbs 31 woman? Yeah? What, what, what will we call her? Faithful. The opposite of her? Unfaithful. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Boy, she looks so good. Can't be bad. Something that feels so right can't be wrong. We write songs like that, don't we? Yeah, actually it can be. <laughs> yeah. And it kills. It kills. You, you can write a jingle anytime you want. Just because you can write a jingle that people like to sing, don't make it true. But God's Word teaches us this is true. Saying 19... Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause and redness of eyes? Anybody know yet? He's going to tell us, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. 
little bit of the hair of the dog that bit you, right? That's what's supposed to make you feel better the next day. That was never the solution, by the way, to my hangover. Never. That was the beginning of the next one. Never the solution to the other. In the end, it bites like a serpent, stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Yep. And your heart will utter perverse things. Yep. I can't tell you how many times the next day I was mortified by what I had said or done. It was so much fun. It was a great time. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. They call that the spins. Anybody ever have to sleep on their bed with a foot on the ground? Somebody did. <laughs> in fact, he says it'll be like sleeping on top of the mast. That's the pole that goes up from the ship. Yeah, where you're teetering and tottering and feel like you're not on the ground. And Oh, it's, it's, it's glorious. <clears throat> you will say, they struck me and I was not hurt. They beat me. I did not feel it. When can I wake up so I can get another drink? The waste of life. Yeah, the Bible's going to use wine all through the Bible for a symbol of joy. And, and I, I don't want to, I'll stop just short of saying wine is always bad. But I will say for me, I don't do it. I learned a long time ago, one led to two, led to three. It was easier just to say none has never led to any so much more peaceful works for me you know you you want to do that different you're you you have a liberty in christ what you don't have a liberty to is to be a drunkard be being filled with the holy spirit not be filled with wine which is dissipation which is waste that's what this describes that's a wasted life. And I, I, I have, uh, in 20 plus years of ministry, worked with, I don't even know how many hundreds, thousands of guys caught in that same trap. And it's tough. Hard to get out of. It's better to teach our children, don't get in that trap. You won't like where that road goes. So stay off the road. Follow the way of Christ. Follow the path of life. And you will discover that your life has greater meaning as a result. More blessing. You'll say, wow, why didn't I do this in the first place? Well, they say experience is the best teacher. I don't know if that's true. Experience is the harshest teacher. And you won't forget her lessons. Yeah, I know. Getting old is not for sissies, is it, John? That's right. Nope, it's not. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this study as we work our way through Proverbs. I pray, God, that you help us see the road signs. We want to walk them. We want to, we want to follow you, Lord. I pray that we pay attention to the things that describe for us what it is to walk on the path of life. And that we would, even in accordance with your word in Deuteronomy, when you said, I have set before you today two paths, life and death, blessing and cursing. 
I ask you now, choose life. Lord, I pray that that would be our desire as we look at the Proverbs, to choose life, to follow you, and God, to find that which you promised when you came and you said, I have come to give you life, and life more abundant. Lord, I pray that we would pay attention to the street signs and walk the path that you lay out before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.